to Jim on the roof and go around church. Loving Father, would you please speak to us, we pray. We are so thankful for your wonderful words. So we don't guess about you and your interaction with this world and your acts towards saving this world. We thank you for your word that is so clear and we ask that you would help us now by your spirit to listen and to just savour it and to be joyful at the salvation found in Christ. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I reckon that time feels different when things are hard. I think 2020 is a year where our body clocks have been messed up. It feels like only yesterday that we were going through a bushfire catastrophe. And yet it feels like years since our church was locked down and we had to go and watch church via Zoom. And at the end of church, we'd sit down and see what other people were eating for dinner. I mean, that was months ago. But everything's all over the place with our timing. But whether time seems faster or slower, traumatic events mess with our body clock. The treadmill of life speeds up or it slows down. But the speed isn't the same, is it? Even though we experience the pain of hardship, though, we actually get a special blessing in these difficult moments because otherwise we would be trapped in the hamster wheel of life around and around and around and around and around till we die. But hard times give us a wake-up call. Hard times give us a wake-up call. And for the entire human race, that's what 2020 has been. This year has been a wake-up call for humanity and everybody's been shaken up. And now that the speed of the treadmill has been all messed up, it is time for us to have deep reflection. Today we're looking at Psalm 40, which is a well-known psalm that talks a lot about time and in particular, it talks about waiting. Waiting for the Lord. When things are normal, we often get stuck in the moment, but when things are tough... We look forward and we're forced to wait. We wait for a phone call from hospital. We wait for a reply about our job interview. We wait for news of a vaccine. When times are hard, we're forced to wait. And in 2020, the world is waiting together. But God's people have always been waiting people. That's who we are. And in fact, this whole series, season of Advent, you know how you get the Advent calendar and you count down to Christmas Day? Well, that's, that's a Christian thing. And we're in the middle of it right now. It's the Sunday before Advent. The whole Advent thing is about waiting. It's based on the Latin word. There you go. I'm impressing myself, everybody. Uh, Adventus. I found that out in Google. Uh, it's based on the Latin word Adventus, which means arrival. It's a time when we wait for the arrival. Before the first coming of Jesus Christ, they were awaiting the arrival of the Messiah, the first time. And now we, who live after the first coming of Jesus, we're also waiting for the arrival, the second coming of Christ. That's what Advent's all about. We are people who wait. We are waiting people and we are hoping people. But now that Christ has been born, lived, died, risen, ascended and now sits at the right hand of the Father... We continue to wait. We wait for the coming of Christ. We are people who wait. We're not settled. We are waiting. For that reason, Psalm 40 is our psalm. 
It's our psalm. But like all the psalms, and indeed the whole Old Testament, we need to read these words through Christian lenses. This is really important we do this. Because unlike King David, we are no longer waiting for the first coming of the Messiah. It's already happened. But even though Christ has been victorious at the cross, we are still waiting because we're waiting to experience the full impact of his victory. And we will experience that as he comes again in glory, the second coming. That's the perspective we need to have in this Old Testament book. We need to see Old Testament writings through the cross of Christ, knowing that things are different for Christians than they were for God's old covenant people. We as Christians read Psalm 40 differently to the people who lived 800 years before Jesus. But not only is it about um, to be read through Christian lenses, we'll also see that it's a psalm that applies to individual people. You can say this psalm yourself to God. But we need to remember it was firstly a psalm that was written by David nearly a thousand years before Christ. And then is of David, that it's about King David's greatest son, Jesus, And because of that, we can then put those words on our lips as well. Anyway, that's enough pre-information. Let's get into it. As we look into Psalm 40, I'm going to read it out now. Have a look at all the time references. And then have a look also at the way in which God dealt with his king. Psalm 40. For the choir director, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. And he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. Oh, the joys of those who trust in the Lord, who have no confidence in the proud or in those who worship idols. O Lord, my God, you have performed many wonders for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. You have no equal. If I tried to recite all your wonderful deeds, I'd never come to the end of them. You take no delight in sacrifices or offerings. Now that you've made me listen, I finally understand. You don't require burnt offerings or sin offerings. And then I said, look, I have come, as it is written about me in the scriptures. I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. I've told all your people about your justice. I've not been afraid to speak out, as you, O Lord, well know. I have not kept the good news of your justice hidden in my heart. I've talked about your faithfulness and saving power. I've told everyone in the great assembly of your unfailing love and faithfulness. Lord, don't hold back your tender mercies from me. Let your unfailing love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles surround me, too many to count. My sins pile up so high I can't see my way out. They outnumber the hairs of my head. I've lost all courage. Please, Lord, rescue me. Come quickly, Lord, and help me. May those who try to destroy me be humiliated and put to shame. May those who take delight in my trouble be turned back in disgrace. 
Let them be horrified by their shame. For they said, Aha, we've got him now. But may all who search for you be filled with joy and gladness in you. May those who love your salvation repeatedly shout, The Lord is great! As for me, since I am poor and needy, let the Lord keep me in his thoughts. You are my helper and my saviour. Oh my God, do not delay. It begins with waiting. And it ends with a request not to delay. It starts with verse 0, which is actually part of the Bible. And it tells us that it's for the choir director. It's a psalm of David. To David, for David, of David. It's it's a David-flavoured psalm. And in that way, we need to see it as being about David and his greatest son, the Messiah. It's all about David and his greatest son. And that will give us an understanding of how that we can read this as Christians today, even though it was written a thousand years roughly before Jesus. And it opens with David talking about his own grief. Verse 1, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. And he turned to me and heard my cry. David has cried out to the Lord God in his distress And he has waited patiently for the Lord to help him. Waiting, waiting, waiting. And then finally he gets a response. The Lord turns to him and he gives David his attention. But this is how bad it was for David. We read that he lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. David isn't just not having a bad day. David was in deep despair. Did you see that there? He was drowning and wallowing in the mud of hopelessness. It's a horrible feeling. I wonder if you've ever felt that low in life. Have you ever felt so utterly in despair? David was immobilized by grief and anxiety and trauma. But in that state, he waited for the Lord. He knew where his help would come from. But he was in the absolute pit of despair, in a hole he couldn't get out of. But the Lord heard him. Verse 2b, he set my feet on solid ground. And steadied me as I walked along. He has been rescued. The Lord rescued David. He was shaky on his feet. And the Lord steadied him as he walked along. We don't know what it was that caused this affliction to David. But from verse 12, a little bit later on, it seems likely that they're actually from his sins. He's been in this mess because of self-inflicted sin in some way. But the Lord heard him, helped him, and now leads him by the hand. David hit rock bottom, and now he's been restored. It certainly was worth waiting for the Lord. It was worth being patient, because the Lord didn't give up on him. The Lord heard his cry, and because of that salvation, now David rejoices with a fresh song. 3a. He has given me a new song to sing. 
a hymn of praise to our God. He just wanted to sing. And not just any song. It's like, oh, there's nothing in the hymn book that works. Because he's got a new life now, he needed a new song a sing, a, to sing a song of praise to his God. How nice has it been to be able to sing again in church? And it, who would have thought? I mean, I never imagined there would be a time when the health guidelines would say, well, very specifically, houses of worship not allowed to sing. It's like, really? If you had told me that last year, I would have said, are you serious? And you may be a person who, who you know that singing is probably not your strong suit. Um, that's okay. It doesn't matter. You're singing and you're hearing the reverberation of the singing of the saints. And what a joy it is to be singing. There's something about singing that captures every, every sort of vibration of our bodies together as we come together. I mean, that's what music is. It's a, the vibration of the tiniest of little hairs inside our ears that are then turned into signals that can not just recognise the pitch, but the, the tomba, the, the, the shape of the sound, the, 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 everything. It is just a joy to sing. David needed a new song. Because it was so exciting what happened to him. And the singing that he was doing, he knew that in a sense it wasn't just for himself. It was in fact for everyone. Because this salvation was something he showed to the world. 3b, many will see what God has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. They will be amazed at God's goodness. They will turn to the Lord and will trust in him. David's not just excited about his own rescue. He is actually excited about the fact that God rescues those who wait on him. And he knows it is something that brings joy. And so verse 4, he says, Oh, the joys of those who trust in the Lord, who have no confidence in the proud or in those who worship idols. How does he describe the experience of trusting in the Lord? Is it like you've got some sort of tyrant who says, you must obey, you must obey, and it's like, I will obey, I will obey. It's like, no, it's like, oh, tell me more. I want to obey you. I love it. I trust in you. What joy it brings. Because to trust in the Lord is to find joy. That is what it means, to find trust in the Lord. Trust can be hard for us, though, can't it? If you've had your trust betrayed, then you'll know how hard it is to find trust again. When you trust someone and they fail you, you think, I don't know if I'll ever trust anyone ever again. But the Lord God will never betray your trust. The Lord God will never let you down. And that is why there is joy in trusting him. Trusting him instead of proud and arrogant leaders. Trusting him instead of material possessions that have become our idols. Trusting in the Lord brings us joy. People want joy at Christmas. Of all the times of the year, Christmas is about joy. And so what do people do? They go to the shops. That'll bring us joy. We'll have a huge lunch and we'll eat a lot and we'll drink a lot and we'll sort of have that post-Christmas lunch coma. Don't put on the cricket. No, that's not till tomorrow, whenever it is. Ah, kind of thing. That's joy. 
Joy is found in trusting in the Lord. There is the joy. That is the greatest Christmas joy of all, is in trusting in the Lord. And the reason that he is trustworthy is because of his track record. You meet someone you've never met before and they promise all this stuff and they say, trust me. And you're thinking, "Uh, I'm just not so sure about that. But someone comes to you and you have seen their track record, you have seen their reliability and you know what they have done and how they have acted and their consistency. And they say to me, they say to you, trust me in this. And you think, yeah, I trust you. How much more with God? Verse 5. O Lord, my God, you have performed many wonders for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. You have no equal. If I tried to recite all your wonderful deeds, I'd never come to the end of them. David just looks back at the wonders of the Lord and is blown away. But there's probably one main wonder that he's got in mind, and that is the exodus. That was that time where God's people were in slavery in Egypt under a tyrant. And God got them out in a spectacular way. It really was the greatest moment of salvation before Jesus. It was the greatest moment. It's the Old Testament gospel. It's kind of the open tomb of the, of the Old Testament. As the seas were parted, it's like the rock was rolled. And so that is what it is that David looks back on. And it wasn't just that, though. It's because he, time and time again, saw the reliability of God. Now, I have seen God do wonders. I've seen him answer prayers in spectacular ways. And if you're a follower of God and you're a person who's prayed to him, you will have seen the same thing as well. And when we see his wonders, they actually prove that he's trustworthy. And the greatest of all, of course, was rising Jesus from the dead. We'll come to more of that in a moment. But if you really want to see what trust looks like, we, not, we shouldn't really just look at David, because, you know, we should look at David's greatest son, Jesus. And that is how we see what this is really like. Verse 6 and 7. You take no delight in sacrifices or offerings. Now that you have made me listen, I finally understand that you don't require burnt offerings or sin offerings. And then I said, look, I have come, as is written about me in the scriptures. David now turns to sacrifices and offerings, and he says, they're not really that good. Which is really weird. Because that was a time when they got into the whole sacrificing stuff. In fact, David's son, Solomon, was the guy who built the spectacular temple. And what did they do in the temple? They did the sacrifices. They did the stuff. And David's kind of got in here. He says, you don't really love those things so much. Ultimately, animal sacrifices don't please God, which is a bit strange. Because that was the way that they were told to show their sacrifices to God by sacrificing animals. So how do we understand this verse? How does it fit into all of this? Well, it turns out that the writer to the Hebrews in the New Testament quoted these two sentences. 
So if we were to turn to Hebrews chapter 10 from verse 4, just before it, have a listen to what it says. This is important because the New Testament, God's own word, helps us understand the Old Testament, God's word. Have a look. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. And then I said, Look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the Scriptures. And then a few verses later, 9b, he cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. So what's that got to do with the, with the whole thing? Well, the point is, the psalm of David is now fulfilled in the son of David. Can you see that there? Jesus himself became the sacrifice. That is why he is trustworthy. That is why he brings joy when we trust in him. Because we don't need to trust in our own good works. We can now trust in Jesus. He gave his own body as the sacrifice. And it was once for all time. We don't need to be stressed about spiritual performance. Have I done enough to please God? Have I not done enough bad to make God unhappy? All this kind of performance stuff is not the deal. We just need to reach out the empty hand of faith. And that trust in God will save us. It will bring us all the benefits of Christ's sacrifice, which comes with great joy. Verse 8. I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. David and the son of David show the joy that comes from obeying God. They know how God wants us to live. But it's Jesus who actually lives out those instructions fully in every way. And Jesus brings joy as he does God's instructions. Interesting, isn't it? It's not like he's like, oh, do I have to clean your room? Do I have to? It's like, I want I, joy is coming from obeying God's instructions, which Jesus does for us. And when we understand that joy, we want to share it with everyone. And so verse 9 and 10, we read it says, I've told all your people about your justice. I've not been afraid to speak out as you, O Lord, well know. I've not kept the good news of your justice hidden in my heart. I have talked about your faithfulness and saving power. I've told everyone in the great assembly of your unfailing love and faithfulness. David tells everyone, everywhere, about God's salvation. And in particular, he talks about his justice. His justice. Now, what, why would he talk about his justice? Well, the word that's translated justice there in this English Bible is the same word that's also been translated as righteousness in other Bibles as well. Uh, it's that whole idea of being seen as not guilty in God's sight. Righteousness, justification, justice, it's all in that word. It's a, it's a catchphrase for God looking at us now as no longer sinful. Wonderful thing. And he also tells about the unfailing, steadfast love of the Lord. It, it's the special covenant love, promised love for God's promised people. 
It's the, it's the word that is often translated, the steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases. His chesed, his steadfast covenant love for his people. It's a beautiful word. And David is like, wow, such joy comes from being seen as righteous in your sight when I don't deserve it. And such joy comes from knowing your love, your steadfast love that is new every morning, new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. Great is your faithfulness. See, it's funny that it's often when someone just becomes a follower of Jesus that they're super keen to tell others about it. When you get some good news or you make a discovery, you just want to share it with everybody. Well, you know, let's say you've been living in a town that, that has just had consistently really, really bad coffee. I'm not thinking of any particular place, but there was a town like you had really, really bad coffee and then a new cafe opens up. You think, oh, well, I'll go down and check it, give it a go. And you get this coffee and you say... Wow, that's really good coffee. Or, or you go and visit a, a place where you normally go on holidays and, and then the new cafe opens it. You think, oh, probably another dud coffee. You go there and you say, how good is the coffee? And you see someone down the street. You say, how are you going here? Have you had a coffee yet? You, know, you just want to tell everybody. You know, it's like, so how was your trip? It was great. They opened up a new cafe. You go, ah, you know, you want to tell everybody about it. When you've experienced that joy, you just want to share it. But coffee schmoffy, I mean, who cares, really? When you know the Lord Jesus, you've been saved, and he looks at you as a friend, not a foe. When you have that certainty for eternity that no matter what happens, you have that peace with God, what do you do? You say, well, I won't tell anybody. It's like, no, you want to tell everyone. And so it is with David when he's been taken out of the pit, pulled out of the mud, out of the mud. He's yoo-hoo. Brings him such joy as he brings... It tells everyone about this salvation. And then, on that basis, David prays to God. He says, verse 11, Don't hold back your tender mercies from me. Let your unfailing love and thankfulness always protect me. For troubles surround me, too many to count. He now sort of gets back to reality and thinks I've been saved, but I know that there's troubles. But because of the salvation that he's had from God, he can confidently pray for God's mercy and love. It's a weird thing, isn't it, to pray for what God has said I'll give. But it's a way of David showing, and we can pray this as well, it's a way of showing to God that we trust that he's the one who brings us mercy, the one who brings us love, the one that gives us hope, the one that gives us joy. By asking for it, we show where it really comes from. But the context of this is that David knows that he's going through a hard time. He has troubles, many troubles, too many to count. I wonder if that might be how you might describe your life now or or maybe in the past. I don't know. What if I was to say to you, okay, here's a blank sheet of paper and here's a pen. I want you, no one will see this. We'll shred it after you've written it down. It's just a private thing. I want you to write down what your troubles are. I'll give you a moment to do that. And you're writing them down. And then you turn the page over. He said, can I have another piece of paper, please? Yeah, sure, sure. 
can I have a ream of paper, you know, like 500 sheets, and you're writing it all. These are your troubles. And like for David, it's kind of like he goes to office works and stands in the paper section. He says, I need it all. He's writing, writing, writing. And I have all the pens, and he's writing, writing, writing. Because he says, my sins pile up so high, I can't see my way out. They outnumber the hairs on my head. I've lost all courage. Please, Lord, rescue me. Come quickly, Lord, and help me. He confesses his sins to God. David confesses his many sins to the Lord. He speaks of his sins that pile up so high he can't see out of them. It's a bit like when you're bored at the beach and for some reason you've got a really good shovel. You think, oh, what will I do with this? Ah, and you dig down. You say, let's see how far I can go. And down you go, and down you go, and down you go. And before you realise it, the sand's all around you. You've still got more sand below. You think, how good is this? It's, but you can't see over the top anymore. It's kind of like that with David. He's, he's digging, he's digging, and he gets into one sin, and he digs more, and he digs more, and he digs more. And you might think, oh, well, you know, David, King David, the special David, the David guy, he must be an okay kind of guy. I mean, his sins aren't possibly that bad. No, 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 he dug pretty deep. He, he saw a woman who he was actually having a shower and said, oh, she's naked, I'd like to sleep with her. And so he did, and got her pregnant, and killed her husband. You know what I mean? These sins are piled high, far out. And you would think, if I was God, I'd sort of say, mm, shut that down, abort, mm, next king. But he had compassion on him. Now, I don't know how many of you guys could say, well, oh, yeah, well, David's story is exactly mine. Ooh, okay. Uh, but... <laughs> But I tell you what, whatever your sins are, if the Lord will forgive David, then he's not going to say, oh, you're too hard. No matter where you've been, maybe you've wandered from the Lord. Maybe you know that you're saved, but you've wandered and you think, even as a follower of Jesus, I've sinned. And I'm wondering whether or not he might actually forgive me for these things. Will he let me come back? One word, David. And so he confesses his sin and he knows when he cried out, Lord, rescue me, the Lord didn't say, oh, you're a hopeless case, shut you down. It's like I reach out and I grab your hand. And David's forgiveness offers us hope. And not only did the Lord forgive him for his sin, he also protected him from attacks. Verses 14 and 15, he says, May those who try to destroy me be humiliated and put to shame. May those who take delight in my trouble be turned back in disgrace. Let them be horrified by their shame. For they said, Aha, we've got him now. David's enemies were cheering when he was crying. I thought, terrific. David is the king of God's people. And look at the state he's in. Great. That'll shut down the whole of this kingdom of God thing. Sorted, But the mocking stopped. They were horrified by their shame. And it reminds me of King David's greatest son, Jesus, as he hung there naked, as, he was a, as they mocked him and said, oh, he saved others, save himself. Oh, king of the Jews, how ironic. And yet 
his mockers were put to shame when he rose from the dead. And the tomb is empty and there is victory. Jesus had victory over sin, which was the victory, in fact, that was the basis upon David's own forgiveness. That's a bit of a mind-blowing thing, that the son of David was the one. Anyway, that's how it works. But this victory is worth celebrating, verse 16. May all who search for you be filled with joy and gladness in you. May those who love your salvation repeatedly shout, The Lord is great! The Lord is great! See, our praise comes from the Lord's salvation. That is why we keep talking about the cross. That is why we keep talking about the empty tomb. That's why we keep talking about the past, the past, the past. Because we talk about our salvation. It gives us something to sing about. We don't come here and just say, oh, well, just put on a happy smile. It's like, no, that's not what our songs are about. Our songs are about what the Lord has done about the salvation, and that brings us joy. We keep banging on about the cross, but the cross is the very heart of our salvation. And so we're going to sing lots of songs about the cross. Get used to it if you don't. If, you know what? This is what we're on about. The empty tomb. Hooray! That is our salvation. That is our song. And that is where our praise comes from. And we particularly love that. We give praise when we've received kindness that's given as a gift. And that is what leads us to cry, the Lord is great. And with that in mind, though, we come to our final verse, which is sort of like a bracket from the start to the end. As for me, since I am poor and needy, let the Lord help keep me in his thoughts. You are my helper and my saviour. O oh my God, do not delay. David speaks on behalf of us all when he speaks of his lowly state. Even if we have spectacular wealth, we are still lowly. We are still needy. We are still poor. Because without the Lord, we are nothing And if we ever needed to have that message driven home, then 2020 is the year for it, isn't it? Our great wealth and power has been no match to the power of this microscopic virus. But the greatest enemy is sin and death. Humans can make a vaccine for COVID, but we can't create a solution to sin and death. Only Jesus did that for us at the cross. And so we wait patiently for the Lord. His first coming brought salvation and forgiveness from sin. And at his second coming, we will experience it in its fullness. But we are people who wait. We wait patiently for the Lord. We experience the struggle of life, this side of heaven. We groan as we await the new creation. We long for the return of Jesus. And so we cry with David. We cry with the psalmist. Oh my God, do not delay. Come back soon. Come back soon. In one of his most famous speeches in the TV drama, The West Wing... The White House Chief of Staff, Leo McGarry, spoke about his own personal struggles with addiction. That's what he said. This guy's walking down the street when he falls into a hole. 
The walls are so steep you can't get out. A doctor passes by and the guy shouts up, Hey you, can you help me out? Well, the doctor writes out a prescription and he throws it in the hole and he moves on. Then a priest comes along and the guy shouts up, Father, I'm down in this hole, can you help me out? The priest writes out a prayer, throws it down in the hole and moves on. And then a friend walks by. Hey Joe, it's me, can you help me out? And the friend jumps in the hole. Our guy says, are you stupid? Now we're both down here. The friend says, yeah, but I've been down here before and I know the way out. See, at Christmas we thank Jesus for coming down to us to meet us in the hole. And we thank Jesus for lifting us out of the hole, out of the pit. And now we wait for the time when we will fully experience that salvation when Jesus comes again. You are my helper and my saviour. Oh my God, do not delay. Do not delay. Let me pray. Gracious Father, we are so thankful for the empty tomb and we thank you because of that remarkable salvation that we have hope for our future if we trust in Jesus. We wait, we groan, we know that if we've trusted in Jesus we are forgiven but now we wait for the full experience of that and we pray Father that Jesus would come soon. Come, Lord, soon. Do not delay. Amen. Thanks for listening to Jamaloo and the Lane Trip.